Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. I created Data Mesh Radio to be a resource for Data Mesh practitioners the world over. This is a weekly summary episode where I share a bit about the upcoming week's episodes and give you an extended summary for any interviews or panels that will be released during that week. It's designed to help you decide what episodes you might want to spend the full time to listen to, as interview episodes and panels are typically more than one hour long. In general, if you were running up against any challenges with Data Mesh, I'm here to help. I started a company around doing just that, Data Mesh Understanding. So get in touch if I can be of help. Check out our free community programs and things like that as well. Weekly episode summaries and programming notes for the week of July 23rd, 2023. So the roundtables continue. This last week's was quite fun. We talked about the elephant in the room, which was also part of my conversation with Jmac. How does generative AI play into all of this around data mesh? So if you'd like to join us for roundtables, please do. They're every Thursday at 10 p.m. IST, 6.30 p.m. CEST, 5.30 p.m. GMT, 12.30 p.m. EDT, 11.30 a.m. Brazil time, and 9.30 a.m. PDT. And of course, yes, that will change when daylight savings time changes and all that fun stuff. But you can just check me out on LinkedIn for more, more details, or if you want to uh, actually watch any of the past ones, look up Jean-Georges Perrin, JGP. You can find him, you know, if you just type in JGP and Data Mesh, you'll, you'll find him somewhere and you can find uh, links to his YouTube this week's topic is going to be the ever-explosive data contracts. And, and um, you know, yes, as I said, these are all being recorded if you can't make them, but we would really love to see more and more people. You know, we're having kind of six, seven people on these that are talking and some more that are listening. So, but we want to get more and more people involved. I'm also going to be launching the introductions program that I talked about previously soon. It's been delayed while I figure out some good logistics on it so it doesn't eat 100% of my time, right? So what's on tap for this week? On Monday, we have episode 242, which is Making Data Accessible Makes Your Data Work Successful. More on pay- PayPal's data mesh journey with Kim Tees. If you recall, Kim facilitated our panel on leading a data mesh journey um, you know, a, a couple of months back. We talked in this episode about driving buy-in and keeping kind of near top of mind with your execs out there relative to whatever data initiative that you're doing. You know, always going back to the why. Why are you doing something? How to build and keep communication bridges with all aspects of the organization, how to keep that communication going, how to not just focus on the data work, but focus on the impact of the data work. You know, we talked about why PayPal's data mesh implementation got going and and was successful and a whole lot more. It's a fun and easygoing conversation. I think you'll enjoy it. On Friday, we have episode 243, Max Corner number 26, The Fundamental Data Need, Autonomy with Interconnectivity. This is the start of a new conversation with Jamak. So we're kind of jumping into a little bit more about what is it that is so missing out there? 
So some takeaways from this, it's, it's important to understand that we need enablement to do data mesh well. That is enablement through technology and enablement through organizational approaches uh, slash behavior changes. Doing only one of those will likely not work. You have to really focus on enabling the organization to do this. I know that keeps coming up, but it's something that's important to reiterate. Schmack said, quote, they need to move fast. They cannot be bogged down by centralization of any kind, organization or technology. Personal note here, we, we discuss a little bit later the need for centrally provided enablers, but these central bottlenecks are the speed and flexibility killers. So look to prevent and remove these bottlenecks caused by anything with centralization. Centralization isn't the enemy necessarily. It's just often the cause of all of the friction. And so you just want to look to how can you decentralize or federate whatever you're doing there. Third point, people want to simply produce data as a normalized process of doing their day-to-day -day work of their jobs and then, you know, make that data consumable for the rest of the organization. So how can we enable that? How, why is this so tough? How can we make it so that data is interoperable and interconnectable too? But right now, people have to spend so much time and effort specifically on prepping the data. Why does this have to be that tough? And then finally, the last point, right now, the missing core component to do data mesh well is an easy ability to create and manage data products. Everyone is having to cobble all these projects and products and write a bunch of stuff there of their own just to create data products as this base layer of how do we get these things functioning in an easy way that's just a software development process. And then we can start to layer the observability, the access control, the interconnectivity, all that fun stuff on top of it. But right now we're building with a shaky foundation. So with that, on to the extended summary for Kim's episode. Extended summary for episode 242, Making Data Accessible Makes Your Data Work Successful. More on PayPal's Data Mesh Journey, an interview with Kim Tees. So in this episode, I interviewed Kim, who at the time of recording was a leader on the enterprise data team at PayPal and now is the SVP of Client Innovation and Data Solutions at Profit Optics. To be clear, though, she was only representing her own views on the episode. Kim started off with a bit about the PayPal journey to data mesh. You know, we had JGP on or Jean-Georges Perrin on earlier talking about, I think it was episode 122 or so, about PayPal's journey. So this was more on that and more from kind of the leadership and business perspective instead of more the technical perspective. But, you know, as Kim said, they weren't looking to do data mesh necessarily. They had a specific business problem of disparate data sets across multiple domains that needed to be combined with decent governance and observability. It just so happened that data mesh was a great fit. So they went the data mesh route. And there actually was an engineering-led conversation within PayPal, um, um, kind of that engineering team, looking for a use case to use data mesh. But 
that didn't end up being the data mesh initiative that went to production. There was also a bit less scrutiny on a business-led journey because it was within a larger line of business or domain rather than it was the core data team strategy. And so they could just kind of, if they were delivering value for their own domain, then people kind of left them alone. One thing Kim believes is that data teams, especially data engineers, do not spend enough time really understanding and, and, you know, she kept using the word experiencing how customers use data. Data engineers and data teams should go and pair closer to the business teams to deliver better solutions. That will lead to better outcomes, but also better relationships. This is that aspect of data user experience that is often overlooked. People want something to make their jobs easier or make them perform better. They don't just want data. So how does data actually intersect with that? To actually do that kind of experiencing, Kim and her team leveraged the Gemba Walk philosophy. There's going to be some links in the show notes for the episode. It's a Japanese concept of going and, and quote unquote walking the factory floor to really collect some information. You don't need to do super formal interviews, meet people where they are and ask them questions about their day to day. Get a sense of what really matters and how they do work and how data intersects with them. If you just ask people what they want, they might give you the Henry Ford faster horse type answer versus you discovering their actual points of friction. Kim discussed the challenges of not just keeping but retaining buy-in and attention to your data mesh implementation or really any data work. Once you get the approval, and there are probably things that are more top of mind for your business partners than exactly the data work that you're doing, especially compared to the specifics of the data work aspects versus what that data work is addressing. So keep circling back to the business challenges you are addressing in conversations to stay near top of mind. Kim and team accomplished that staying top of mind by getting to a really rapid, tangible proof of concept. They quickly had something to show from the work that made it clear that this could work from scale, at scale. So they, they came back pretty quickly and said, hey, we've got this thing, like let's, let's move forward with it. Starting from entirely inside one business unit meant Kim and team had a lot of autonomy. As soon as they were brought into the central data team, Things changed, then there was much more focus on kind of communication and sharing and compromising too, especially around technology uh, uh, choices and approaches. Many teams within that or many parts of that kind of central team were taking different approaches to similar challenges with the same technologies. So it was a question conversation around how do you get to kind of uh, best practices around that. One thing that really stuck out to Kim about data mesh and driving buy-in is that different, different pillars resonate for different personas. Data scientists or even data engineers embedded into a domain often love the self-serve aspect, not even for consumption, but being able to actually self-serve their own data production needs. They aren't afraid of the ownership principle of data mesh because they can own their own timelines and not get stuck in centralized bottlenecks. They might not even realize they're struggling, you know, pre-data mesh because the central bottleneck and friction is so ingrained to people's ways of working. You can really make things far better for them, but they wouldn't have considered asking. And again, that's kind of that part of that Gemba walk. Like, how do you find their actual friction points? Kim believes you should be prepared to market your cash mesh capabilities once you have them up and running. 
that doesn't have to be a salesy approach, but you want to go and find additional challenges people couldn't solve, but now could with, with Mesh to gain more momentum, more converts, and more funding. Learning the art of the conversation is crucial. Is there a way that you can advance their business goals, address their challenges? If yes, they are much more likely to lean in and stay bought in to the use case. Don't be afraid of a little sales and marketing tactics to get to better business outcomes for all. It's very easy to use the same term and mean something different. This comes up all the time in data mesh, right? Just look at what is a data mesh or what is a data product content out there. So Kim believes when talking to your internal partners, start from listening first so you understand how they are using their different terms. It's easy to jump to solutioning instead of understanding, but your solutions will be lacking without the understanding. It's pretty easy to lose track of the customer experience in, in data mesh in Kim's view. There are so many things to focus on and honestly, you know, user experience, UX design in data hasn't really been a thing. As an industry, we haven't talked about UX design for the platform or the data product much before Data Mesh started to kind of force those conversations. If you have all the capabilities in the world but a bad user experience, are people really going to use what you've built? Maybe if they have to, but not when they don't. So circling back to communication, Kim talked about the challenges of communicating with execs and getting bogged down in the work done. She said it's important to start from baseline communication around data mesh. You know, she said, quote, there are the four main principles and this is what we've built and why. If you start there, then people can really start to connect the what to work might be beneficial of uh, beneficial for them. And as she stated earlier, still look to start from listening and understanding aspects first and then always start from the why. Personal note you here, um, start from the why was something she mentioned a whole bunch. Um, there's going to be a link in the YouTube or you can just look up Simon Sinek, S-I-N-E-K, and start from the why and you'll you'll find some good content around that. In wrapping up, Kim talked about the through lines of the conversation. Establish and build relationships, not just build data products, not just build a data platform. Learning the actual problems and challenges of your business partners is key. Talk to people where they are before you try to build something for them. Understand what's actually going on and where their friction points actually are. And then also look for scalable business cases. The best way to discover those is by establishing the relationships. <laughs> Hopefully it sounds like some awesome episodes for you coming up this week. As a reminder, feel free to get in touch if I might be useful in your data mesh journey helping quite a few organizations and introducing people to each other, plus doing some roundtables. Check out datameshunderstanding.com for more information. I hope you have a great rest of your day and week. Now on to that fun, funky little outro music. Mm -hmm.